welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always by my good friend and partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we are sans Ronald J. Martin this week. Ron is a busy man. Uh, he may be done retreating. He may be back home. He may be swamped with work. Um, thankfully, it will be a scant just a couple of weeks before he's back on the on the retreating trail again. So yeah, I feel like maybe he's having some severe culture shock from having to be back in Ohio after what has been what since like Easter in Florida. I think he like I think did, so. he, he did he did uh, Easter in Ohio and then disappeared to Florida. When was our show? Like when was our live show? Uh, March 31st. Because that was like the start of Ron's trip. Yeah, so that, I think that was, like, that was what, a week or two before Easter? Yeah, that was that was to the day two months ago. So it's May 31st now. So I think he's, if not back home, he's, he's getting closer. So uh, Ronald, if you're out there traveling, Godspeed to you. Um, safe travels back to the Ashland area to meet your new neighbors. And uh, good luck with all that. Piper, we have, uh, we have many things to discuss. Um, including some book business and a couple of sponsors. So why don't you lay those on us? Indeed. All right. So we have NavPress sponsoring us again with the book Down to Earth by Pastor Tom Hughes. It is Tommy. Tommy Hughes. That's right. I, if his name was Tommy Hughes, he would have been a great college quarterback. As he would have. With the name like Tom a Hughes. Yeah. You know, he could be a deacon at a church. Dude, where does Tommy Hughes play quarterback? Central Florida? Uh, Miami of Ohio. There you go. Yeah, he lights up the Mac. Yeah, as a as a quarterback. Yeah, Tommy was, Hughes, and you and you watch him, and you're like, why didn't this guy go to a, like a Big Ten school? You know. And then you're like, oh, because he's just like Timmy Chang, so broke all the records, Timmy but, also, Chang. but also could only play at Hawaii. Hyper, what a great name from like 1990s June Jones run and shoot like system quarterback talk. That's uh, that's a great one. Um, but lest we make this into happy right. sports, we got to gotta keep it about Tommy Hughes. <laughs> yeah, we we lost all of our uh, our non sports listeners. So, Pastor Thomas Hughes, let's call him Thomas Hughes, wrote "Down mm-hmm. to Earth: How Jesus Stories Can Change Your Everyday Life." It is a book exploring and reflecting on the parables of Jesus and looking at how Jesus used just the normalcy of everyday life to connect to deeper things of faith. So prayer life, relational life, um, your actual trust in God, the kingdom of God, all of these things that are kind of high theological concepts, but Jesus so effectively told stories about things that people were just intimately familiar with through their work, through their environment. And so this is, this is an exploration of those things to help us with our understanding and our relationship with God in those uh, in those kind of different areas. So looking at heroism and evil and prayer and money and just sort of everything from esoteric concepts to very concrete parts of life. So the book is Down to Earth by Tom Hughes from Nav Press. It is available now. Go check it out. Our other sponsor... Piper, to me, what Tom Hughes needs, he uh, needs to either go by ideally both of these things. He, he's got to explore the middle initial... And he needs to go by Thomas. He doesn't sound nearly arrogant enough to be writing like Christian books, um, for for lack of a better. He yeah. sounds like too much of a down to earth guy. Tom you know Hughes I mean? sounds like I would love to have him as a neighbor. Right. I'm doing I'm doing a little barbecuing with Tom Hughes. Um, you know, maybe maybe yeah. I, mean, I don't maybe, think I would hesitate to like give Tom Hughes the key to my house and be like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a month. Right. Like Ronnie Martin, will you come bring my mail in? <laughs> And maybe, and by one, month, maybe water months. the plants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, by month, yeah, exactly. By month, I meant a uh, quarter of the year. Um, you bring, bring two months worth of mail in for me. Uh, Tom Hughes would do that, though. That's the kind of guy he is. He's a stand-up guy. But like Thomas G. Hughes, you would ask Thomas G. Hughes to take your mail in, and he'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm speaking at Oxford during, during that time. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. yeah, Thomas G. Hughes has a colloquium to be at, so he could not be present. I'm finishing a peer-reviewed article, and I'm speaking at a colloquium, so I, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't do it. Yeah, Thomas that G. Would, Hughes is reviewer number two, and uh, everybody else is, you know, they respect <laughs> him, but they kind of fear him, and they loathe yeah. him just a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, Tom Hughes, way too likable, way too much like a neighbor that you would, you would borrow stuff from. Which maybe uh, makes him better suited to write a book about Jesus than the other versions. But, <laughs> Dude, you know. I agree. 
Yeah, this this is maybe the most ringing endorsement we've given Tom Hughes since <laughs> since he came on board as an endorser. But uh, Piper, tell us about our second book. This one is interesting as well. Yes, this one is interesting for a variety of reasons. So Waterbrook Multnomah is the sponsor. The book is Rise of the Servant Kings, which sounds a lot like a Christian knockoff of uh, like Game of Thrones, but it's not. Yeah. It's actually a book about manhood. But mm-hmm. before you get all triggered, listener, this is not a book about sort <laughs> of uh, toxic manhood and, you know, the driscally screaming manhood and ruling your mm-hmm. household manhood and all that stuff. It, as the title suggests, it's about service, humility, servanthood, and how those things play into the character of what it means to be a genuine man. Again, looking at Christ as the, uh, as the example of these things. What stands out most about this book is is two things. One is that the author is Ken Harrison, who is the chairman of the board for Promise Keepers. How many Kenny. of you listeners knew that Promise Keepers was still in existence? I did when I found out we were being sponsored <laughs> by the chairman of the board of Promise Keepers. There you go. The second is the list of endorsers. Amazing. Last week, we discussed Evander Holyfield's endorsement. And by Evander Holyfield, I mean... A copywriter, the middle-aged at, white lady who wrote, who writes right. endorsements. The for. copywriter at the publisher who sent text to Evander's people, and they said, "Sure, looks good." Yeah. Um, today, I would like to discuss the endorsement of Bill McCartney, Ooh. former Colorado football coach. That's the one. Uh, you know what Bill McCartney was famous for? So he he went to Colorado, I think in the. I'm going to get the the times wrong, but I think it was the early '80s, and um, Colorado was not recruiting like inner city Los Angeles at the time at all. Uh, but McCartney, man, he went into like South central Los Angeles. He got a bunch of players, um, put Colorado on the map almost immediately, uh, really turned that program around. So what years uh, was guys, he there? Was he like the, uh, like the Rashan Salam and, uh, what was that guy's name? There was a Westbrook. Uh, was it Michael Westbrook? Dude, yeah. Receiver? Michael Westbrook. So see, like, was that like to me, him? when I think of him at Colorado, I think of like Eric Bieniemy and and Darian Hagan, some of these like triple option guys. He might have caught Rashawn Salam, like right that might have okay. been right at the end of McCartney, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, he he sort of like pulled that program out of the doldrums by recruiting black guys, basically. Um, not a thing Colorado is known for. Let's be honest. Not a th- no, not really, not really. But uh, Piper, Bill McCartney is nothing if not a great blurber and endorsement writer of books. So I want you to just dramatically read this and we can kind of parse it like we did Holyfield's. Yes. So Holyfield's was um, maybe more parsable, but we'll just go with this and see what what, uh, the Lord brings about here. It says, I have passed the promise keeper's baton to Ken Harrison with exceeding joy because Ken is a man of the word and a man of prayer. Still waiting for the part about the book. Uh, Never has (laughs) there been a greater need for men of the word. Okay, we're getting there. And prayer, because men lead based on who they are. That seems accurate. Additionally, Mm. Ken has a genuine love for brothers of color and is committed to ensure they are reached, included, and fully involved as Promise Keepers builds an army of godly men. Read this book, parentheses, which I haven't mentioned at all, close parentheses. It Mm -hmm. was written by a man of integrity. Well, there you go. There's your endorsement from Bill McCartney. So, ringing endorsement of Ken Harrison... Yeah. Subtext. I haven't cracked the spine on this book and I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm promoting the brand of Promise Keepers says, did you know Bill McCartney was the founder or a founder of Promise Keepers? Dude, I did know that. That's kind of fascinating. I learned that about 10 minutes ago. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. No, he was, he was big in, in that. And I mean, it was, it, it was interesting Piper in that like, so the whole toxic masculinity thing wasn't even a flicker in any English major's eye 25 years ago when Promise Keeper started or whatever. So, I mean, take all of this with a grain of salt, but McCartney was a, he was kind of the atypical football coach in that he wasn't your sort of, you know, blustery, swaggering, you know, uh, that driscally kind of guy. Um, and by all accounts, I've never been to a Promise Keepers, but I, I know a lot of people who have gone to him and, and, I think they're they're pretty great. Like I, I hear really good things about it. So my recollection of Promise Keepers when they did events was that it was built heavily on repentance. So it was yeah. it was a lot about confession and repentance, which did, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's pretty core and foundational to to faithfulness to correcting the wrongs. And I think so. It was a lot about getting men to kind of stop being the worst version of men 
and become yeah. more Christ-like in terms of um, confession and repentance and humility and walking in that along with along with accountability to other guys in those things. So yeah, I think the foundation yeah. of Promise Keepers and probably the reason it still exists is because it wasn't sort of a you know based on faux energy and a flash in the pan kind of thing. Dude, right, man, right. No, I th- I think it was like everything that that we would sort of affirm and, and think is, think is great, you know, and it just came along at, I think it came along at a time where you were kind of allowed to do stuff like that. I don't know that if in 2019, somebody had the idea for promise, promise keepers, if it would, if it would necessarily fly in the same ways, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, it did well for its time for sure. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, I was trying to think about that when I was, uh, doing my six and a half minutes of show prep for this. What, there you go. what would promise keepers look like in the day of the like? So millennials are now grown men. That's what, you know, yeah. like the youngest millennials are in their 20s. The oldest millennials yeah. are like me. We are you yeah, know, like 35 mid, or yeah, mid to late yeah. 30s parents, professionals. What yeah. would promise keepers look like for this generation? Because it kind of skipped your generation. Yeah, it's it kind did, of older man. Gen X, but not really because it was what was it? It was sort of it was like mid nineties, right? Dude, I pu- I put it in the same sort of cultural and emotional like container that, that sort of the church growth movement is in. So uh-huh. like that that Hybelsy kind of early eighties, mid eighties kind of kind of deal. So yeah, it really did skip my generation. Um, what would it look like today? Gosh, man, that's a great question. With, I feel with like trying to do a big celebrity driven energy driven event of any kind would be so hard to get off the ground right now. Yeah, I Un- agree. Unless it's sort of in the mega church culture. Like if you're drawing on that subculture, you can still pull off like uh, Greg Laurie and his harvest USA campaigns and stuff. They yeah. do things like that. That's more evangelistic than it's not sure. gender specific, but I think with the gender climate today, men mm-hmm. would be like, that sounds like a thing I might want to be part of, but there's no way I'm going to be seen at that. Dude, right? Yeah, it, it would. It would. If you're if you're concerned about sort of the veneer of liberality at all, it would it would destroy all your like street cred in sort of English departmenty circles. So you couldn't you couldn't do it. You couldn't go to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe they would have a woman speaking at Promise Keepers in 2019. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought though, and and I think like a lot of things, it really just. It came along at at the right time and place to sort of take advantage of of whatever was happening in the marketplace at that time. Um, so anyway, Piper, what's the name of this book? Lest we we get too far That's afield right. here. Uh, enough about <laughs> Promise Keepers. We are sponsored by a publisher, which is Waterbrook Multnomah, and the book is Rise of the Servant Kings: What the Bible Says About Being a Man by Ken Harrison. Also available now. Go check that one out, um, fellows or ladies who are looking right. for a Father's Day gift. This could be a good one. Absolutely. And since we're talking about books, Piper, we do have a we have a scintillating reading list topic that's going to come along later. But but while we're while we're kind of in the space of all things millennial and being triggered, I want to talk about a little a little Donnybrook, a little fracas, a little uh, a little online situation. You brouhaha, if you will. A little brouhaha. Yes. A little Twitter brouhaha. Now, how long had it been since you'd had a really good like dust up on Twitter? Like what, what, how many of those a year do you average? I, I probably like once a quarter. I'm really like, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to drag Twitter. Dude, I could, I could tell you were bored that this, this post had the, like, it had all the markings of a bored Barnabas Piper trying to, it like, was stir a something slow up. Memorial day afternoon. I was kind of <laughs> between, right. bet- I had things going on in the, in the first half of the day and then I had evening plans, yeah. but like nothing going on mid afternoon. And so I just, I just needed to go. That's right make Twitter mad. How do I best honor the sacrifices of the men and women who, who fought for our freedom by like, you know, exercising my, my freedom to get on Twitter and make a bunch of people mad. So Piper, I'm just going to read. Okay. In that vein, to be fair, nothing (laughs) shows how asinine, uh, how asinine social media is in the face of actual sacrifice. Like people getting mad about nothing, which is essentially what happened here. I That's posted so a nothing. This is a nothing tweet. And people Absolutely. got heated about it. It's so funny. So what I'm going to do, and and you sent this link out, um, I don't know, maybe a day or two after it happened. And you had, you had indicated that you had like um, gotten a bunch of people riled up on Twitter. You sent the link. Uh, we checked it out. And, uh, and a topic ensued. So this is your original tweet. All right. I'm just going to read this. And then we're going to parse it. We're going to walk through it. 
Um, you said things I cannot take seriously on a man. And then we have a bulleted list. Uh, number one, bro tanks. Number two, flat brimmed hats on white dudes. Um, number three, brightly colored non-athletic shorts. Number four, man buns. Number five, embroidered jeans. And I think you're talking about the kind of like the, the kind of jeans you see in the South on like country dudes. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Like the boot cut that have like the yeah. stitching all across the pockets and stuff. And yeah, yeah, those. We have a friend in our church who's awesome. Great lady. She calls them like fancy butt jeans. Um, and I she's mean, I would rather so have a fancy butt than I would embroidered. Like just I don't know. <laughs> that, that seems to Dude, be a little then, bit too complimentary of these these jeans. And then finally, this is one that got some people riled up. Ordering avocado toast. So yeah, you in one, one, one really, That one really uh, got under some folks' skin. You went after their diets. You went after their the way they do their hair. You went after um, hat-wearing bro tanks. And I got to tell you, so I, I, wear, I wear flat-brimmed hats, but I wear them backwards. Um, so I don't know if that changes the narrative at all on, on that whole deal. Probably not. But, uh, and I also, I, I will put my hair up in a man bun from time to time. So if you've listeners, if you've seen me in person, you know that I have a magnificent mane of hair that I sometimes will get lashed up into a man bun. But, um, my, the difference being though, I didn't get triggered or upset at all by your tweet. Uh, but there, there were some people who did. So, um, Piper, I want you to talk about the kind of blowback that you got. And when you, when you sent the link, um, I had sort of predicted the kind of blowback that you would get. And I want to, I want to say what my predictions were, and then I want you to talk me through what you actually got. So, uh, you sent this out and then I hit you back and I said something along the lines of, uh, you're going to get a lot of quote unquote toxic masculinity blowback. And you're also going to get a lot of, um, doesn't Jesus just love everybody blowback and the toxic masculinity that's going to come from English, the English department, uh, doesn't everybody love Jesus is going to come from Christian studies. And I'm just too, like, I'm too, I'm too mired in the college world to, you know, not be able to talk about it in those terms. So what, what kind of, uh, what kind of hatred did you get from this? Well, your response made me laugh out loud because <laughs> you, it was, it's like you were reading the script and I knew that you weren't looking at the replies because you're not actually on Twitter. I, you just saw like the image that I sent and, right. uh, and yes, those are, those are the two. Well, so the three primary responses were, um, angry women that uh-huh. I was shaming men mm. for, you know, so I'm the toxic man here because I yes. can't take men seriously who do this. So I'm, I'm toxic. Yeah. And then, then there was the, um, why can't you just accept people? Why can't people just enjoy what they enjoy? Didn't Jesus mm. love everybody? And then my favorite yeah. as part of that was, uh, thank you for the divisive tweet. I was being divisive. Oh, you're um, being divisive, right? I am. I find bro tanks very divisive, but that's... So for you, having an opinion is being divisive. That's and, what I've discovered. And then, and then the third one, this was much less moral and much more a matter of opinion, was... I totally agree with this list, except for the avocado toast part. That stuff is really good. Which, Dude, people love their avocado toast. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, almost everybody who responded regarding avocado toast, they were not heated. They were just expressing yeah. an opinion. They were like, yes, 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 no. You know, that Dude, kind of can thing. Dude, can we parse avocado a little bit? And then I want to get into the more serious stuff oh, about this. We're at this, risk but- of losing listeners if I go in on avocados, but let's go for it. Dude, so okay, so here's my here's my deal on avocados. I love guacamole. Uh-huh. So like if you go to a Mexican restaurant and they they kind of whip the, the avocado with some seasoning and some salsa and they make it into guacamole. Like I'm 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 here for that all day. But I, I'm with you on avocados, Piper, in that like the consistency of just a sliced avocado, it, it feels like something like a gross kid would pull out of their nose, you know? Yeah, it kind of um, looks like it too, actually. It's like, and a, it looks chunk, like, it's like it, a chunk it, of booger. So why would you passionately defend like putting that on a piece of toast? It just no, okay, it just feels not like not only this. What is good about toast? Nothing. Toast, toast is, is a conduit. Exactly. Toast is just a conduit. Toast is dry. It's it's bread that you have made more crunchy so that it can hold stuff. Dude, now if you're like in France and you have a fresh baguette and you slice it long ways and slather it with butter and a little crackle of salt, then that's that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but. that's not toast. That's like cuisine. Toast right. Is, like, that's a meal. That's a toast entree. is like you pull out a bag of like Arnold wheat bread and drop a piece <laughs> in your in your, you know, Hamilton Beach toaster and 
Exactly. And then you've got something that you can put the good stuff on, and avocado is not the good stuff. It's just like the slimy green yeah. stuff. Dude, so the hipster who's making the avocado toast in the morning, is, is he or she like – yeah, a little like good, good fats, good cholesterol, a little lean protein. You know, is, is that the thought process or I, I don't get it. Like, I, mean, I don't I, get. I think a lot of people eat avocados because it's sort of included in like the, the trendy diets. You know, it's a way to get fat, you know, fats and oils and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, there are people who genuinely like it, but I think they mostly like it because they've talked themselves into it. It's mm-hmm. very hard for me to imagine actually enjoying such a thing. Although yeah. I'm with you on guacamole. Guacamole is delicious because they have changed the texture and they've added yeah. flavor. Dude, so. right. They've used it in, in the best possible way, I think. But okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's dip back into the more serious elements of this tweet. So Piper, what did it feel like for you to be like the toxic man for a change? Because I feel like you're you're not the toxic man most of the time or I, any of the time. I would really like to not be a toxic man. That one – so uh, – <laughs> You know, my, my my knee-jerk reaction was was to probably act toxic and, and uh-huh. defend myself and get all self-righteous. Yeah. And then I realized real quickly that that like, – That's not going to get you anywhere, buddy. They, they are bear baiting, and I'm right about to walk into that trap. That's what's happening there. So I yep. either just left it alone or I just responded and just said, this is a joke. Uh-huh. You know, because I was like, I, I feel like jokes are not funny once you have to explain them or once you have to – very let true. Pe- let people know that this was said in humor. Yeah. But so I, I would just say that. And none of them responded after I said this is a joke. So either mm. they were so sort of like mic drop moment and they just walked away and there's no more they wanted to say. Or yeah. they might have felt mildly ashamed at uh, uh-huh. at their silliness. But yeah, I I didn't love being labeled as a as a toxic man. For, for about 30 seconds, I considered should I... Should I have rephrased this? You know, I said things I cannot take seriously on a man. Should I have been like things that amuse me, things that uh, that I point and laugh at, things that I what are that I think are ridiculous? But see, I, I, respectfully, I think you're we're we're majoring in the minors here a little right. bit. In that, I, I think the the big miscalculation that you made is that as the kind of man you are. You're not allowed to have an opinion on other men anymore. By the that kind a, of man I am, do you mean middle class white male? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Okay. You are an oppressor, so you're not allowed. Like if you were British, you could pull this off, right? That's true. So, Sam, Sam Alberry could have said this because that is a classy, uh, he's educated, historic British observation of goofy American culture. Absolutely. So he could totally get away with it. The guy, the guy who hosts. Uh, Monty Don's French French Gardens on Netflix is an old British man. He could he could a hundred percent get away with this, uh, but you cannot. Now I want to be British. Sure, I mean this is the way to be a white man in 2019. You have to be British. I mean that's the <laughs> that's the elegant solution here, Piper, for both of us. You and it's I perfect. are. We're not getting anywhere in the in the in the mid south, buddy. I mean I think it's Great Britain or bust for us. Um, I don't know, but I could I could be wrong. Am I am I Am I in the ballpark there? I, I think you're right. Uh, I think if you are, I, yeah, because I think you're sort of a you're sort of a neutral party, and yeah. I mean, as, as long as you generally leave race out of it, you know, yeah. then yeah, I think a British white man can get away with much more opinion well, than dude, an American white man. The great thing man. is nobody's threatened by Britain. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, like poor Britain, former dude, colonial no, I know, power. yeah, definitely poor Britain. But I am a little jealous of like the opinions that they're allowed to have, you know, like they, they are allowed to say stuff in a way that, in a, in a way that we are not. Have you ever um, watched the videos of people arguing in parliament there? I have once in a while. Yeah. Why? It's, it's, it is my favorite combination of maximum politeness and maximum insult. Yeah. So they call people like the right honorable gentleman and then just uh, eviscerate their character with brilliant metaphor and comparison. And it's, it's like watching Monty Python be mean. Yeah. And it's so, so funny. Dude, it's like high-end Twitter. It's what Twitter should be, you know? Yes. Like, you should, you should have to bring that much thoughtfulness to the table before you just eviscerate someone on well, Twitter. And, and they still keep it, like, nominally civil. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have elected officials who love to name-call. That yeah. doesn't fly in Parliament. In Parliament, it's the right honorable, right honorable gentleman or the lady or, I mean, so there, there's, there's like 
terms of respect right before you're like, is the dumbest person I've ever met for these 11 humorous <laughs> exactly. reasons. And it, it's exactly. just the perfect juxtaposition. All right. So, so what, what this tweet has taught us is that there are at least three things that you're not allowed, as, as the kind of man you are, you're not allowed to have an opinion on fashion of other men, what they eat, and what they do with their hair. So those things are off the table. Now, let's, let's go a level deeper and ask the question, what is Barnabas Piper allowed to have an opinion on in 2019? What's, what's okay for you to like dangle out there opinion-wise that, that you're not going to get killed for? Um, I think sports are largely safe unless it's about Derrick Rose or Kobe Bryant. That's true. If you tweet about either of those guys, there are people who apparently have like Google alerts set up and it's like <laughs> stranger tweeted about your favorite player and they just come after you. So it's that's so funny. Oh, you know, it's it's so amusing and also just absurd. So dude, you're right. The Kobe apologists are really like they're really ride or die oh, with. Yeah, it's not. Kobe. Yeah, the the Kobe stands is the, yeah. the phrase. Derrick Rose yep. is the funny one because he hasn't been relevant in like four years. He sort of became pseudo relevant again this year, but yeah, just dude. Be- now with D Rose, is it just super loyal like Chicago people? I would assume so. It's really hard to tell because all the people replying are like their name is like Derek ZQ one four seven, and you're like, ah, and then there's no personal information. It just says, yeah, you know, been yeah. a member since you know, 2016 or something. So maybe Derek Rose owns like thousands of Twitter robots who are just like auto auto responding whenever there's a tweet. Maybe Derek Rose's agent. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think sports are largely safe. Um, movies are largely safe. If you keep it like out of the Oscars conversation and more in the, like, this is how much I enjoyed the latest Marvel movie. Yeah. You got to keep it in the realm of like lowbrow, yeah, popular kind of, pop films, yeah. not not artistic films. Yeah, and no mentioning Terrence Malick. That's a how does Brett McCracken get away with it then? Because McCracken is so academic that he sort of. I, I, I here's the theory. I think you can become so deeply like enmeshed in the academy that you sort of you sort of renounce your white maleness and you become sort of. A, like asexual. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. So you're sort of asexual and racial. Right. You're just sort of. You're yeah. just you're a uh, you're a talking head. You've become adopted by by the academy. Yeah, like, like that's it. That's just what you are. I think that's and true. So I think, maybe I if think, I wrote really esoteric takes, like something that would be printed in like the Atlantic or something the New incomprehensible Yorker. about a movie that you've just viewed. Yeah. Um, yet it, it's got to be incomprehensible in the right way, right? So it's got to be. Or I could or I could write just like you know an absurd take about how you know a bro tank and a flat brimmed, brimmed hat echoes to Victorian senses of superiority amongst white That's men. It. You know, and yeah. then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I get to have this opinion because nobody understands it or cares enough to respond to me, except Dude, for like the eleven is- other people. Victorian is huge. I'm so glad you mentioned that because anytime you can crap on the Victorian era and men, like you're you're really doing something. So like you gotta yeah you gotta stay in that wheelhouse. Short of becoming British. By the way, um, just just thinking up that idea gave me a headache. So I don't think that's gonna happen. Exactly. Yeah. Neither you or, you or I have the stamina to uh, to to really make that happen. But um, pipe, I'm glad you came through this relatively unscathed. Um, I know it was traumatic and, and hard not to say that you're the victim. I mean, you've, you've really like, you know, you've caused a lot of people, a lot of pain and suffering with this tweet. So I hope you're, I mean, I hope, I hope you've apologized to like, I, I really hope that all the men in their, you know, salmon colored shorts and bro tanks can find a safe space to munch on their yeah. flavorless slime on dry bread and really recover from this tweet storm experience that I stirred up. Um, Dude, you should be apologizing yeah. to me because, like, as I as I look at this list more closely, I do have a pair of salmon colored shorts, and I do occasionally have a man bun, and I and I definitely wear the like the mariner's hat backward with the flat brim. So. Like maybe, I, I will say I think I think backwards hats. I mean, backwards hats a whole different fashion kind of thing. You have long yeah. hair that changes a lot of things about hat wearing in general. That's true. Um, yeah. Like if you have long hair and wear a hat frontwards, you're either like the nerdy friend from a '90s movie, you're Joe, <laughs> you're Joe Dirt, or you're I'm like Joe a Dirt. trucker. Like those Absolutely. are your options. Absolutely. If you wear a hat backwards, like okay, that now you're containing your lustrous head of hair. That's right. That's a whole different thing. More practical at that point. So, 
yeah, I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking myself into being super wounded by this Piper. I need to, I need those people on Twitter defending me, you know, maybe I'll read the comments and feel, feel validated and, and stuck up for, but if you call um, me a toxic man, it will really, really, really <laughs> strike deep. However. Oh dude, I know it. That would cut right to the quick. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to throw that phrase around lightly. I mean, not here. I will at my university all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wouldn't do that to you, Piper, because we have, we have other written word things uh, to discuss because uh, today is the last day of May when we're recording. When this episode drops, it will be June, which means it will be uh, squarely in the summer months, uh, which means it's time, Piper, and you can set your watch by this. Uh, it's time for the Gospel Coalition's What We're Reading This Summer article. And uh, if you love... Uh, ladies with three names, and if you love like uh, incomprehensible books that no one wants to read, this is the article for you. Um, we even get a we we get a great appearance from Brett McCracken here. Um, so if you're if you ride with McCracky, um, you're you're gonna love this. He's got some some absolute stunners on here. So uh, Piper, you sent this along this morning. I actually did read a couple minutes of it, and. Um, I don't know. I get a huge kick out of these lists. My favorite thing about the timing of sending this along was you and I were going back and forth. What should we talk about? And I said, what about summer reading lists? Uh-huh. 30 seconds later, this tweet pops up with this link pops up in my feed. What we're reading this summer from the Gospel Coalition. And I sent the link without even opening it. I was just like, yeah, this, this is the you thing. You knew it was going to be hilarious. Yes. Yeah. And, and it delivered on and that. It, yeah. Delivered on its promise in spades. So, okay. So, Piper, you and I are... You know, we're we're pretty similar guys. What is it about a list like this that makes us both think it's hilarious? Um, I want to I want to get to the heart of like the the pathology behind why why you and I both think this is funny because I I bet there are a good number of people for whom either this doesn't move the needle for them at all or they think, huh, that looks like a lot of a lot of book titles. That's helpful. Maybe I'll look through there. But why why is it funny to you and me? I I think it is because. <clears throat> Everything about this says curated list, not what I'm actually reading this summer. Yeah. Like if I was going to throw out what I'm reading this summer, like what I'm actually reading. It's it, not it, very impressive. Yeah, it would be like a mix of like trash fiction that I, I mostly listen to the audiobooks on because I need something that's sort of mindless and fun to fill up the empty spaces of walking the dog and driving the car and things like that. Yeah. And then there's a few more serious Christian books and then there's, you know, maybe I get to something else. There's also the aspect that, like, wh- why is there the assumption that people have more time to read in the summer? Yeah, that's life true. does not slow down for me in the summer, especially if you're a parent. If right, anything, it gets it's harder worse. In the summer. Yeah, you spend yeah. more time being like, "Kids, go away, stop making noise, get out." I'm trying to get things done here, whatever it is. Yeah, it's and and even and if you have kids and you go on vacation, like, who who's sitting around reading while their children are like jumping in swimming pools? You gotta gotta keep an eye on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. The premise of it, but I, yeah, I think it's the curated list aspect. This feels like a list of books I want people to think I'm reading this summer. Absolutely. I want to be known for reading these books, not exactly. these are the books that I will enjoy most this summer. Dude, yeah, I'm sorry. Brett McCracken's not taking Joseph Joseph Piper's Only the Lover Sings Art and Contemplation. He's not taking that to the beach. Are you? Well, uh, again, going back to our previous discussion of where the, the way he's achieved his status. That's true. He very that's well true. might be. Yeah. It, in, if you're going to be a made man in the academy, you may have to take that to the beach. Yeah. Actually, you may have to not go to the beach at all. You know? um, maybe you're just in your, in your ivory tower writing peer-reviewed articles all summer. Um, I'm, just, I'm still I'm scrolling about halfway through the list, and I'm looking for a book that I look at and go, ooh, that's fun. Yeah. Okay, yeah. here's one. Last Train to Memphis, The Rise of Elvis Presley. I would read that. Oh, there you go. Who's, who, uh, who, who suggested that Jeff one? Jeff Robinson, senior editor at the Gospel Coalition. Oh, right go. after that, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. That's on my wish list right now. I like Jeff Dude, Robinson. Dude, I like this Jeff Robinson. Yeah, this guy, this he's, guy's got some good books. Yeah, and then he's got a pastoral theology book, so whatever about that. But he's I mean, that's, got to do them. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, Matt Smethurst, the spy and the traitor, the great espionage story of the Cold War. Like that looks mm-hmm. interesting. Here's the problem: none of these are like fun novels. It's yeah, still like uh, nonfiction only. Like where's yeah. the where's the like I don't know, cops and robbers catch the bad guy spy fiction something. Like, Dude, did you see Smethurst's first one? 
It's Wright Thompson's book, which is going to be a banger. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also on my wish list. The Cost of These Dreams. Yeah. Wright yeah. Thompson is He's a beast, dude. maybe He's the best long-form sports writer yeah. alive. Piper, are we talking ourselves into this list? No. Uh, I don't these, think are, are. these are the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah, we've just picked out the good ones. I mean, literally, um, there's, there's like 14 contributors, three mm-hmm. to four books apiece, and we picked four books. Yeah. So the, the percentages are failing. Dude, yeah, you're just, not going to read Surprised by Paradox, the promise of and in an either-or world? Oh, here's the thing. I actually um, would read that, but I wouldn't call it like my summer read. I'd be like, that's a book that I think I would benefit from reading. Jen, yeah. Jen Pollock Michelle is a really good writer, and I have a copy of that on my shelf. But this is a like summer reading feels like it should be like guilt free reading, lighthearted reading, yeah. fun reading. I'm going to get to the books that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to, not books that I can post a picture of and be impressive. Yeah, that's what no, this I'm, feels like to me. This feels like this feels like an impressive list, not a summer reading list. Dude, you want to hear a trash book that I'm reading right now? And yes. It's absolute hot garbage. Um, I got it at McKay's in Nashville, the greatest used bookstore in the world. Which is not at all hot garbage. No, no. McKay's is like, that's a, that's a very happy place for me. And every time I drive through Nashville, I stop. But it, at any rate, uh, there was a book that dropped about a year ago, a sports book by Lenny Dykstra. Do you remember this guy? <laughs> I was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was a Philly center fielder. And like once a year, I go into a, a real bookstore like Barnes & Noble. And for whatever reason, about a year ago, I was in a Barnes & Noble's. Dykstra's book had just dropped and I saw it on like an end cap and I picked it up and I read probably a chapter. I don't know. I was waiting around for my wife or whatever. And, um, I was like, man, this thing is trash, but I like, I kind of couldn't put it down. Uh, so I go to McKay's the other day and they have a copy in there for 75 cents. And, uh, I was like, oh man, I'm in on the, on the Lenny nails Dykstra biography for 75 cents. So, is, uh, does he have a wad of chaw in his cheek on the front cover? Cause if he doesn't, he sure does. oh good. Yeah, okay. He sure does. Any other image of Lenny Dykstra is an abject failure by the book cover designer. Dude. Yeah. Lenny Dykstra was a super fun baseball player in the nineties and on, on a super fun team. Those Phillies teams were, uh, they Did were, they were jail great after he played for something. Dude, he went to jail, and I, I was chatting about it with my dad, like literally this morning. And and pops was like, "Yeah, I think he's back in jail. So he he may be in jail as we speak." In fact, I'm gonna in my studio where I have the capability to do this. I'm gonna ask the technology: Is Lenny Dykstra in jail? This is good radio. Read right. this in. Is Lenny Dykstra in I got, jail? I anyway, got a neighbor using a leaf blower. You're typing things up. Our <laughs> listeners dude, are getting I, a full sensory experience. I can hear your uh, I can hear your neighbors. Uh, leaf blower. This is great. Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, a okay. hedge trimmer. It just sounded like a leaf blower. Conviction and sentencing. On March 5th, 2012, Dykstra was sentenced to three years in prison. Blah, 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 blah. Um, ostensibly, he's out. So if he's um, back, it's probably for like violating probation or something. Oh, what's this? Lenny Dykstra facing jail time for cocaine and meth possession? Ooh, that's dark. Uh, that was in 2018. Boy, this went unhappy rent real fast. Dude, it did go on Happy Rant, but uh, but yeah. Anyway, I bought that book, and that that is not one. That's the opposite of one that you put on your like Gospel Coalition reading list to look impressive. Um, <laughs> but I I am enjoying it. Okay, I so I I know we were going to talk about, or we probably will talk about things that we're reading that we're enjoying, like for example, yeah. Lenny Dykstra. But if we were going to create a Gospel a Coalition list, so you yeah. and I, like, if we were going to contribute to this, and the and the qualifications are, what books do you want to be known for reading? Yeah. What would you put on this list that you're that you're either considering reading that you intend to read that you are reading? Like, what's your well, dude, impressive list as opposed to your fun list? I don't know if this one is impressive, but this is a this is a fun one. It's one that I'm reading. that's fun. It's thoughtful. It's fiction. Um, nope, so no, the novel on is, this list. No novels. That's not allowed. Dude, I can't I can't talk about the novel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. OK, dude. The, so the, the novel is called Underground Airlines. Have you have you seen this or heard of it? I have not. I'm intrigued. So it. It takes place in modern, like modern day Indianapolis, which is a lot of fun for me because I used to live there. So all the all the like places in the book, I'm like, oh yeah, I've been to that place. Um, and it operates on the premise that Lincoln was actually assassinated a little while before he was assassinated, and the Civil War never happened. So the the book takes place in a modern day world in which the Civil War never happened, and it and it it's about sort of a guy who is tasked with bringing in runaway slaves because in the, in the world created by this novel, there are still four States in the South who have slavery. 
Um, so the book is kind of all about a slave who's trying to get his freedom and a guy um, who, who actually used to be a slave who's now like trying to bring him in. And, you know, the, the character arc of this narrator, who's the guy trying to trying to bring the slave in, is going to be that he he has a change of heart as a result of, you know, kind of this horrible work that he has to do. But uh, it's a really compelling story, really fun, really a page turner, kind of makes you think about um, American culture in the South and, you know, the Civil War and, and all this stuff in a different way. So that's one that I feel could... Like it wouldn't embarrass me in a room full of academics. When, and you could easily spin that to be like, this is a, you know, uh, a reimagining, a really yeah, a reimagining look or at and, slavery. You know, and a pulling back the layers of American society to look at the underbelly kind of thing. Oh, yeah. If, if you were going to yeah. spin up a, a recommendation, you could absolutely go there. Yeah, that's right, man. I could really make it sound like a like an impressive deal for sure. Um, but yeah, what about you, man? What's on that list for you? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm actually reading a few right now that I'd pr- be proud to put on this list. Um, there you go. What are they? So for the sake of being eclectic, I'll give you three that are kind of pointed in three different directions. Uh, mm-hmm. The first is The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. It's, mm-hmm. It is a look at the the American churches or white American churches complicity in racism since the founding of the country. So mm-hmm. – so he's a historian looking at how the church has contributed to systemic uh, racism in the mm-hmm. United States. So Color of Compromise as one. Um, I'm reading America and Americans by John Steinbeck. It's a selection of okay. essays. So it's, it's nonfiction essays by mm-hmm. Steinbeck, which, you know, he's mostly known for his novels these days. Um, Dude, that's cool. How is Steinbeck as an essayist? I, he's phenomenal. He's interesting. So the first book of essays that I read by him was was war correspondence. He was a mm-hmm. he went and covered what would that have been? Would have been World War II, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And and those some of those were so good that I, I just stumbled across this. And <clears throat> so it's like it's travel journalism, it's newspaper articles, it's like advice columns. It's got all sorts of stuff in there. Dude, um, interesting. Yeah. So he's that one's pretty brilliant. So that that covers my like look uh, look I'm 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 literary, yeah. and then uh, lastly the soul and paraphrase which is a a treasury uh, and collection of like devotional poems edited by Leland Riken. There you so, go, Wheaton guy. Yep, keeping it keeping it real with your your Wheaton Wheaton people. Yep, keeping it all in the family, and mm-hmm. uh, and plus it's a very classically bound book. You know, it's like the cloth on cloth yeah. on board. It's got a little embroidery on the cover. It's very pretty. Dude, who's the publisher on that one? I think it's a Crossway book. Okay, so Crossway spent a little money, man. They opened the, they they loosened the purse strings more than any other Christian publisher right now. Crossway will go in on high end design. Dude, that's fascinating for, for certain that's kinds them. of books. Yeah, not, not across the board. Like they do a lot of just paperbacks, and I mean they're very good at cover designs in general. But but sure, for, sure. for books like this or for some of their bibles like they don't they don't mess around and cut corners on their design and the the materials they use. Huh, that's really interesting. I guess that's surprising. How are they doing, man? In the pantheon of like Christian publishers that are raking right now financially, like where do they stand? I mean, I think they are they're not like in the in the league of the big New York houses in terms of just total revenue. Mm -hmm. But the difference is they're probably in a safer place because those publishers all depend on the next New York times bestseller, you know, discovering a Rachel Hollis before she goes, you know, secular, who's the next Donald Miller, who's the next, whatever. I don't think Crossway is really looking for the next anything. They're just like, we own an audience. Yeah, that's right. And then then the ESV continues to do really well and they continue to do really you know, we we were talking, I think, a couple episodes about different editions of Bibles. Yeah. Like study Bibles. They keep doing really cool formats of Bibles. So like these mm. these ESV journals where it's a it's like a paperback moleskin-ish kind of journal where it's it's scripture text on one page and blank text on another, and you turn it. And they, they cost somewhere between like two and six dollars a piece. And each one's just a book of the Bible. And so they do stuff like that. They do high-end Bibles. They just mm-hmm. they have a they have a sense for like how books are collectors' items mm-hmm. as opposed to just content more than yeah. more than most publishers. Man, that's fascinating. I wonder, and, and we're getting to like inside baseball here in terms of the industry. But I like I, I wonder who like who it is in their brass who's like 
driving that decision. Um, it seems like they get they well, get some smart they're people. Head of their head of their whole creative and art department's a guy named Josh Dennis, and okay, <clears throat> he's uh, he's the son of Lane Dennis, who's the president. And Josh is phenomenal. But in order to do these kinds of things, yeah, you have to have buy-in from the people who hold the purse strings too. Yeah. Um, because it's you know, changes the margins on the books and all that stuff. So yeah, they they have some general sort of sense of mission or whatever that's putting out putting out books like this is a is a value that they have, which as a reader I really enjoy. Oh yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I like it. Pipe, we've got time for one more little uh, little positive thing. Uh, is there a show that you're watching right now that, you, uh, that you're enjoying? Oh, let's see. What have I watched recently? Honestly, it's been a bit of a desert for shows for me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really stumbled across one. I think the one that I've consistently enjoyed, so I just finished season five of the show Bosch, which I may oh, have yeah. talked about on this a long time ago. I've never um, watched it. So Bosch is a – it's an Amazon Prime show. Um, it's based off the novels by Michael Conley. So Bosch is the name – Harry Bosch is the name of the detective. He's sort of a like nearing retirement age, middle-aged nearing retirement age LAPD detective um, who is – and it's, it's like a procedural kind of thing. You know, in terms Dude, is of, he toxic? Is he a toxic man? Is he a toxic? He would be considered so, a toxic man, but yeah. well, he would be, except that more than more than most of the police officers there, he also is very fair to, like he has a his boss is a woman, his lieutenant is a woman, and they have a great relationship, and he respects her. He's much more fair to the women who are in the department. He's he's a he's a performance guy, so he's like, I don't care who you are as long as you're good at the job. I don't care what color yeah. you are. I don't care your gender. He's that kind of guy. Um, Dude, so he's not toxic, not necessarily. Oh, he would be perceived that way because he's yeah. he's sort of gruff, aggressive, macho, and has a yeah. penchant for like shooting first and asking questions a little bit later. Oh, um, there you go. But he's uh, it's. I think it does a. I mean, it's a really fun show, just in terms of the solving of the crimes. But the performances mm-hmm. are great. The writing is great. The guy, the guy who plays Harry Bosch, is Titus Welliver, who okay. I most people wouldn't know him by name, but if you saw him, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. And he's kind of the perfect hard scrabble fifty something year old cop. Nice. He's dude. A, it's it's a good show. Nice. What are you watching? Dude, the, the one that we're really enjoying, and it dovetails very nicely, because I, I feel like this show is sort of the, it's the human embodiment of the Gospel Coalition's summer reading list, and oh, it's no. the show Frasier. Oh, Do you okay. remember Frasier from the 90s? <laughs> yes. In the, so I, that's not know, where I expected you to go with that. I, I was trying to put together something we're really enjoying, and then the human embodiment of this list, I was like, those don't go together. <laughs> no, it's, it's the embodiment in the sense that Frasier and his brother Niles are posturing like Ponzi soft academics and the the whole joke of the show is that that these two guys are sort of living with their father who's a um a retired very gruff very probably to- toxic man a retired cop and um you know hijinks ensue but uh this was this show is a spin-off of my my all-time favorite show cheers from the 80s and uh takes place in seattle fraser crane is a is a radio talk show host. So I feel like there's a kinship there in the, in that you and I are huge radio personalities ourselves, Piper. So it's, it's sort of like watching a show about myself, but, um, but yeah, it's just really fun, man. And it, and it really kind of sends up, um, the, the joke that gets made consistently is the joke about just sort of academic arrogance. And, uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a good release valve for me in, in, in that I'm working in academia. So and I work in academic publishing, so maybe I would love that. There you go, man. You probably would. You probably would. Oh, I have one other recommendation. I just remembered. So there was a show that came out maybe four or five years ago, um, and I think it was a network TV show, but I'm watching it on Hulu. It's called Agent Carter, and uh, I'm watching it with my daughters because it's very hard for me to find a show that I can watch with them. We watch a lot of movies together, but most shows are aimed at either like, oh, this is for 12-year-old girls, in which case I can't take it. Or it's aimed at me, in which case they shouldn't take it. So that's right. Uh, but this is a—it's a Marvel show uh, about Agent Carter, Peggy Carter, who was sort of the fell in love with Captain America, was sort of his right hand person in the Captain America, the very first movie. So World War II era, or just post World yeah. War II, and it's just—it's like a really good fun show. And since it's not like one of the Netflix Marvel shows, it's much more sort of family friendly and. Yeah. Uh, and so 
that's that's a fun one and one that you can watch with kids and that's that's i feel like i struck gold when i found it because i was like finally we can watch you know we can we found a show we can watch together oh yeah dude i dig it definitely definitely okay i've got one too man the last one for me and this is maybe better it's better for us to take a deep dive into this on a sports app but i i just want to talk about it conceptually so uh MLB TV, Major League Baseball ran a they ran a promo like right before the holiday here where you could get like the rest of the season uh, on MLB TV for half off their normal price. So I sprang for it and dude, just watching like a handful of innings of baseball every day. I find it's like it's like sitting and looking at the ocean. You know what I mean? Like I can I, I can sit there. I can look at it. I can be relaxed. I can sort of zone in and out of it i you you kind of simmer in the in the names of of people so well, um, yeah it's like there's a there's like a rhythmic pattern to the announcing and the hum of the yeah. crowd and it's just it's uh it is super relaxing background noise dude i love it it's it's totally like improved my quality of life this summer and uh and i'm i'm really enjoying it so mlb tv uh pick a favorite baseball team like i did and uh, and enjoy watching some baseball. Yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always angry when there is no day game because I work from home most yeah. of the time. And being able to throw the TV on at twelve o'clock or one o'clock and just sort of have it humming in the background while I'm Absolutely. answering emails or making calls or whatever. And then yeah, you look up when you hear a cheer and you you either see the play or catch the replay. And, yep. and it doesn't even matter if you really care about the teams. It's just like oh, this is a great this is just a great sort of summer background environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more, man, for sure. Well, Piper, we have uh, we have done what we always do on this program in that we have wandered to and fro throughout these topics. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.